0: Imagine a world where men stepped up and answered God's call to reach their full potential. Imagine a world where men put their faith and trust in God unwaveringly and without qualification. Imagine a world where men lived out God's purpose for them in everything they do. It's Not My Credit to Take explores the awe and wonder of how God shows up in the lives of strong, principled Christian men from all walks of life. Get ready to laugh, to cry, and to be transformed. I'm your host, Dr. Ed Slover, faithful husband, loving father, loyal friend, and unapologetically Christian. Welcome to the It's Not My
1: Credit to Take podcast.
0: Hello, Calvin. How are you today, sir?
1: I'm very good. How are you?
0: I'm great. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you today. My guest is Calvin Cassidy. Calvin is a Christian author and trained journalist. He worked as a career educator for 40 years and has served as a youth minister and currently serves on his church, vestry. Calvin also had the honor of serving the Seneca Cayuga, a federally recognized Indian tribe as a tribal leader. He believes that God challenged him to build the kingdom by telling his story and spreading his message of hope to a faith-starved world, using his skills as a journalist to write simplistic words to tell an inspiring story. And Calvin readily accepted the challenge, and what an inspiring story it is. He's been married to his lovely wife, Vicky for 51 years, and together they have two daughters and four grandsons. Calvin, welcome to the It's Not My Credit to Take podcast.
1: Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here.
0: I want to dive right into this. I shared with you before we hit record that I'm really, really excited about the story that you have to share today. You wrote an article on LinkedIn that I came across called, I Saw the Light guardian angels. Can you share the details of your story?
1: Okay in that particular episode I was telling about what happened when I was a teenager many many years ago and uh, I was involved in a a serious automobile crash. This is the kind that was explosive and fiery and and, uh, that set the stage for what's to come the story began the I guess the mystic part of the story began when it was kind of like we were in a uh, and I say we because I was with two friends kind of in a desolate part of the country uh, and we knew where we'd been and who we'd passed and who was where but uh, I was was laying by the side of the road feeling the fire out of the kind of like out of the clouds I mean not not from above but just kind of like out of a mist and these two guys hurrying along basically helped remove me from the debris site and one of them happened to be a minister a traveling minister that had been picked up by this utility worker and uh, and that the utility worker was a certified emt and then so that's that's the guardian angel part. They treated, I remember uh, one of the guys ripped his T-shirt off and wrapped it around my head to kind of stop the bleeding because my head had split like a watermelon. I mean, the whole top of my head was just laid back, gushing blood like, you know, like was pretty much terminal. But they helped me get back to a safe place off the road. And then they were gone, just like that. When the ambulance arrived and the highway patrol, there were three guys sitting by the side of the road. The other two were injured, but not not like I was injured. So shoving in the back of an ambulance, off we went. Uh, This was in uh, Southwest Missouri, off we went to Springfield, Missouri to what was in St. John's Hospital, somewhere along the way and this is the this is the kicker right here this is the drama of this whole story somewhere along the way my soul was set free and from that point on it was an ascent to to heaven it, it was a it was a started out in a kind of a dark grungy place uh, that was cold and not inviting and as we moved and this is my interpretation of the light as we moved towards heaven the atmosphere warmed and become pleasant, become inviting, and along the way, dropped off. Or I mean, I dropped off sin, and the devil finally let go. And from that point on, my soul was not only loose, but it was it was free. It was it was and and then heaven's doors opened, and I just had a I just had a painting commissioned. To show what I saw, and I haven't got it hung yet, but that I mean that really that that helps me because it's been half a century ago that this that this all happened, and uh, it's nice to re- refresh my memory. But a buddy of mine took what was in the book and what was, and we we were you know worked together. And uh, I think God was showing him the same thing that he showed me because it was exactly like I remembered it. But in heaven, God and I had words. I never saw God, but I did speak with him, speaking heart to heart. He had this mission for me. And this was, again, half a century ago. So there was still lots of things that needed to be fixed, but nothing like it is now nothing like it is now my main goal in life then was to be a, a elementary school teacher and uh, the what i learned in those few seconds probably allowed me to be a success at what i was doing it allowed me to maybe cross that line a little bit in this day and age where you've got to keep church and state separated uh, it allowed me to help young people develop belief systems, and following that, have you know, a trusting relationship not only with their teacher but with their parents, and it just opened so many doors. And that, in a nutshell, is that part of the story. That's the first part of the story in the book, is that. And there's more to it, but I'm not going to share all of it because I want people to, to read the book.
0: Totally understand that. I, I wanna back up just a little bit because you had said you had said guides or guys. I thought I heard guides. And when at the scene of the accident, and then you said that they left. One was a traveling minister, one was a certified EMT utility worker. Yes. Did you see where they went?
1: Actually, in the state I was in, I couldn't <laughs> – no. They disappeared as as quickly as they appeared. We don't even know where they came from. They said they were right behind us when the uh, accident happened, and they literally were on the scene. But they were not right behind us because, you know, you, you looked at – the, the driver of the car looked at his rear mirror and said there was nobody. I mean, there was nobody. And then – of course, like I said, they dis—they disappeared or left just as mysteriously as they arrived, and they were definitely. Well, like I said, they came out of the, came out of like a like a haze, like a like a almost like a cloaked existence, and they were definitely. Um, you knew, you knew they were angels. And in retrospect, absolutely. Just because of the way of their mannerisms and, you know, they were actually glowing. I mean, I, I don't want to say that like glowing, like it was just a mild illumination that immediately gave you hope and, and hang in there, you know, and don't, don't give up. Uh, but at some point on the way to the hospital, God released my soul so that I could make this, 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 have this encounter.
0: So you described a little bit what the ascension felt like, where it started out in kind of a dim, grungy, cold place. And then as you started ascending, you felt warmth, you felt sin and Satan fall away from you. And then you referenced the painting that you just had commissioned. In addition mm-hmm. to what you felt, what did you see? Can you describe that a little bit?
1: I can I can describe it as I can put it into words because it's pretty un, it's pretty hard to describe. But it was a very past uh, you know pastoral type scenery. Uh, it was uh it was it, it was not like streets of gold and stuff like that. It was like a peaceful Metal mountain, all the things that you would put in a, piece, in, in, in a reference to peace, and we were we were alone there, but it was but it was nothing that the painting really doesn't do it justice because it was kind of like in Technicolor for an old term. I mean, it was it was bright and maybe a little bit. Surreal as far as color and 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 uh, tints and stuff. Everything wasn't exactly like like you might remember, but it was it was very inviting, very friendly, and like I said, very warm. and And you knew you knew right away. And for sure, the few words that we spoke, the one was, "You believe in me, you may enter the kingdom of heaven." So I was absolutely sure at that point that that's where I was at. The the, the the conversation or the dialogue we had with each other was it was very it was very quick. I like to uh, I I'd like to tell a story that God and I had this bartering project and and uh, I got my way, so I got to come back to Earth. But that's not true at all. No, it's not he typically
0: knew, how negotiation with God
1: goes. He knew exactly what he was doing, and I think he almost had to talk me into coming back because on the way back I realized how well off I had been. Yeah, because the back the back trip was oh, I mean it was it was terrible. I mean, I'll just put it that way. Just like, you know, like a, in the blink of an eye, you're in this warm, caring environment. And the next thing you know, just like a bullet, you're, you know, you're just headed towards, towards chaos. I mean, you know, on the way back, and when the sin hits you, hits you head on, you see racism, you see terrorism, you see gun violence, you see homelessness, children who don't have food all this stuff. And I was beginning to wonder if it was ever going to stop. But then it did. And ended up in the hospital in the uh, OR with a great big, one of those lights they have to do surgery and people working and soft voices. and It was like, oh my gosh. But my my absolute feelings and over time this has become even stronger was that heaven's a lot closer or hell's a lot closer than we realize i mean it's the next step (laughs) we live in this we live in this world of chaos right now but that's what makes what i encountered so important and because you know I'd go to meetings when I was in teacher education and they would always say, Oh, don't get too personal because you can't save everybody. Well, I always didn't believe that, but you got to face it. You know, we just got to face it. Uh, you just do what you can do. If you don't have that attitude, you're going to feel like a failure every day.
0: Yeah. Is it fair to say that when you were in heaven, that was a pain free experience? And then whenever you came back, feeling the sin. And then once you re-entered your physical body, that that pain returned by a factor of 10, not 100. I mean, put a number to oh, it. Is that is that a fair assessment?
1: Back, but you, you got to also realize that I was fairly, fairly sedated. Gotcha. I, I kind of feel like I was, I don't know, I was save some of the pain just through the experience in fact i don't i mean i don't really realize experiencing pain again until maybe a couple of days later when i was in the hospital and i was really i was really focused i mean i was really awake not totally influenced by drugs and just you know and i there was some there was pain in but they were really quick to take it away i felt very fortunate that i was treated in a uh, a Catholic hospital, uh, any kind of a Christian hospital. I don't, I'm not trying to get into denomination here, but it was such a nice place to recover and recount what had happened. I mean, because you could talk to the sisters, you could talk to the priests that came around and, you know, the chaplains and they they really i mean they get excited you know <laughs> they get excited with me and i think that had a lot to do with my healing i think i healed very quickly once i realized what all had happened and my wife and i became quite close during that time we were we weren't even engaged at that time but she would come to visit me and that was a uh, an hour an hour's drive from from where we lived and we, I mean, I knew, I don't know if she knew, but I knew that we were going to be married before I left that hospital. And it was a year later that we became engaged. And see, so many things that molded my life happened in, say, six weeks, maybe. The time of the accident, the time of the recovery, the time I got back home. And before long, I was getting ready to student teach. I didn't have any hair because all my hair had been shaved. So a lot of a lot of trauma, but when you look back, you see that when you're in God's hands, that trauma can be somewhat washed away. I had another uh, episode just a few weeks ago where I slipped at church and busted my head open. Funny, we have a, a hallway in our church called the hall of the apostles and we have these beautiful stained glass windows on the side of the hall and uh, I bit the dust that uh, the apostle John <laughs> and I mean I, I, I was the blood it was all coming back to me but uh, once again my wife said I watched you when they had you in the emergency room and I watched you when they were stitching you and I watched you when they wheeled you out to get a casket and she said you barely moved a muscle he says, what? what? I don't get it. I mean, and I said, because, well, I mean, I knew when I hit, the, hit that wall at the church that God was going to take me and carry me through this. And it also illustrated to the folks at church that God is with all of us. I mean, it wasn't God alone that pulled me off the floor and tried to stop the bleeding and and." Got the wheelchair and carted me to my car. It was real people, just like you and you know, just like you and me, doing God's will. And I knew when I hit that wall and I saw that blood that again I was in God's hands, like we all are every day. But sometimes it takes a jolt to to remind us of that. I'm a, I'm definitely a believer. If you. If you can't yeah, there's you know, no doubt about we'll probably it figure that out
0: <laughs> there's no doubt about it, and your your account of a near death experience is similar to what other people you know, report whether they have an in- encounter or open vision of some kind with jesus or they they do go to heaven i'm I'm am curious about the extent of your head injuries from the original accident because you said they were severe. Did you? Well,
1: severe in the fact that the doctor said why I basically died was because my blood level dropped below sustainable level. So it wasn't so much a, a severe head injury as far as concussion, brain damage. It was simply a severe injury in that my head was split open from this ear to this ear and the scalp just laid back. And we all know how sensitive those little blood vessels are. Sure. So I can't even imagine how hard they had to work just to keep me breathing.
0: Did you suffer any brain damage? Any lasting effects from that injury?
1: The doctor that I had, and this is another thing, the doctors I had were remarkable. I was at a at a, a hospital in Frenchville, Missouri, but the ER the, well, the neurosurgeon that was on call was from Mayo, and uh, he was an Oriental guy. He thought he was pretty cool. <laughs> he thought he was a real jokester. But anyway, down the line, and after he took the stitches out, uh, that's what my parents said, well, was there any brain damage? His response was, he's no worse off than he was before. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know what that meant. But yeah, what does that even
0: mean, mean Calvin? <laughs> That's a. Well, th- th- that I think is, that would be oh, the I definition don't... of a backhanded compliment.
1: <laughs> well, the interesting thing was that's exactly what the. Oh, well, that's not exactly what the guy said, but you know, when we uh, had this last experience, they immediately. I mean, we went right into before they even. Uh, they just packed the the blood and sent me off to get a CAT scan to see if there was any brain damage. <laughs> And I came back, and he said, you know, you're really, really lucky. He goes, I don't know how. He said, as hard as you hit that wall, I don't know how. I don't know how. You managed to not at least have a mild concussion. I've talked to a lot of doctors, because I have a lot of friends that are doctors, and they said the same thing. You had to experience at least a mild concussion. So take it easy for the next few days, even if they told you, you know, that everything was okay. I haven't noticed anything except a scar. That that I'm the only one who knows where it's at. So, with my wife says, stop, <laughs> stop showing people where your scar is at. If you don't show them, they'll never see it. That's right. But this one here is very visible. I don't know if you can see it on on the on your monitor, but yeah, it's it's and even after hours of surgery, plastic surgery, uh, it's as good, and that, that's as good as I can get it. Of course, this was fifty years ago, so.
0: How how do you explain to Orthodox Christians the idea of guardian angels? Because growing up in the churches that I grew up in, the idea of there being guardian angels wasn't something that was ever talked about. How do you explain to someone who might hold that belief the reality that guardian angels are a thing?
1: You know, I you said not talked about, and I think that's i don't i don't i think maybe they were have experienced guardian angels guardian angels are uh, you know they 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 appear whenever we you know when you really really need help but a lot of times christians human beings being as vain as we are sometimes don't want to admit that we couldn't do it ourselves because I don't do a lot of book talks and stuff like that. But every time I do, people come up and say, you know, that happened to me. And I just thought, you know, nobody would be interested. Or basically, I just thought people would laugh at me. I mean, (laughs) that was the very first thing. It was a long time before I could talk about this. The only person, well, it was a long time. Uh, My mom, and here we go again. She saw angels also, at the, the, the moment of my death or however you want to put it, she was teaching school and uh, she said two, two uh, veiled images approached me and said, you need to go, that your son needs your help. And she, she told me that after well, we were sharing <laughs> sharing stories about angels. And so this whole thing had to have been a heavenly God, what they say on the Hallmark Channel, a God wink (laughs) from the beginning. I mean, you know, it was like we were both relieved that and understood that, you know, we had been chosen, I guess you might say. But people... You know, you talk about things like that. you got to be very, very careful, because this is a God thing. This isn't a Calvin thing. And this is, you know, this wasn't any. And so it's hard to relate these stories without making it about you when I don't want it to be about me. I want it to be an illustration of how, you know, how God is there to help you, even in the most dire straits. I mean, if he can do that when you're dying, what could he do for you if you were just, you know, made some bad decisions? But human pride gets us in a lot of trouble.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt that our ego does a really good job of getting in the way. And when we try to dial it down in favor of connecting to the part of us that which is God, our ego goes into full-on self-preservation mode. It, it doesn't like that. No. I'm interested in how this near-death experience transformed your worldview. So, for example, you referenced that you were dating your, your wife at the time, and you became much closer in the year leading up to your engagement, and now you've been married 51 years. So, using that maybe as as an example, how did this experience transformed how you looked at her, how you engaged with her, how you communicated with her, how you loved her.
1: That's it right there. Love is what holds it together. Again, I like the, I like the word trust. I like the word belief. Uh, we trusted each other. We believed in each other. We loved each other. Uh, and we knew, I mean, I knew the way she talked to me when she came to the hospital. And and I know today that she's got to be part angel because not only does she treat me and I treat her, but everybody around her, everybody. I know the other night we had a situation where we were dealing with a uh, grandmother and grandfather that had lost their daughter, and they were grandparents. Actually, it was my step-grandson's real grand. Biological grandparents, and I told my daughter, who is their these boys' stepmom, I said, you know, your 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 mother is just an absolute angel. I said she handled that situation remarkably, and I told I told her that she said, well, I tried very hard not to bring up things that might reopen their wound after losing their daughter but uh, she was just remarkable and uh, you know people have told us you know you were you were definitely made for each other because you got to remember we got married in the uh, late or early 70s and uh, i know when we went back both of us went back to our class reunions i'd say a third of the people had, were on their second wife already i mean you know, that was just the way it was it, it was just that uh, that era and uh, people are always, you know, after 25 years, they're going, hey, you know, why? How many people have been married right, 25 years? And when you're the only one in the crowd, I mean, you're thinking, and then, you know, and then when, when you hit that 50 number, you know, you, you look at each other and go, and people say, well, what's your secret? Well, I don't know. I mean, it, we've talked about it here. I guess love, trust, and and belief uh, belief in each other and, and belief in God uh, we both lost both of our parents you know we try to be we try to be good parents we try to be good grandparents although that's harder than it sounds how so? I mean, it's well when you're a parent you have control over what you say but when you're a grandparent sometimes you have to say what your, what your kids think you need to say and sometimes you don't get it all said and then you think <laughs> oh my, why are these kids acting like this don't they know better but then you kind of work your way into it but uh, I love grandkids don't get me wrong but sometimes you can't influence them as much as you'd like to because there's situations I mean in, in my daughter's case there's divorce and so these kids are are hurting they're going to hurt in some ways for the rest of their life but you know turning that to god will make their make their hurt a little bit less on the other end of the spectrum my other two grandsons are step but it was their mother that that died of a massive stroke and 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 these boys are like uh 16 and 18. so there's another set of young people that need need guidance, and when people, when kids get to be over fifteen, that doesn't mean that they stop believing in God. If they do believe in God, <laughs> it doesn't mean they stop, and that doesn't mean they stop loving you as mom and dad. But sometimes there's somebody else out there that can that they can talk to, and I, I mean, I, in the case of my parents, they were both very receptive. I mean, I had two families that, that you know, I practically lived with part of the time because that's how close we all were together. And uh, But they were, it was just like, and consequently, those were the two boys that were in the car accident with me. But, you know, in a way, I, I take my hat off to those, those parents because they helped raise me, but my parents helped raise them. So how much of that goes on today? I mean there's a question for you.
0: <laughs> yeah. How, how influential was the accident and your experience on your two friends' lives that were in the accident with you?
1: Well, that's a, that's a strange, there's a strange story there too. There was a, there was there was, a, the ambulances stopped at a small hospital, and deposited the the two boys that weren't hurt as bad. I was critical. In fact, they the one of the boys told me they said, they sent you on to Springfield and hoped that you made it that far, uh, and they were of the opinion that I didn't. Uh, as it turns out, we were in a in a ward situation at the hospital. There were several patients with me, and they both ended up there before before it was all over. But I know the driver of the car. Uh, I mean, he was like he was talking to a ghost. I mean, he was that that taken back. And I remember I sent him an email well, while I was working on the book. And I told him I, I said something about forgiveness, and and uh, he just I don't know that didn't seem I don't know. But right now he went on. He was he was a, he was an outstanding architect. Lived in Colorado. Was president of the National Architects Association and designed buildings here and across the world. Uh, but. After a while, he gave that up and went to seminary, and now, now he's a a pastor and an educator at a college, a Christian College, in, in Colorado Springs. So that helped. That's how that affected his life. The other young man that was young at the time was an outstanding educator, Joplin, which is where, close to where I live. He died of a heart attack about ten years ago. I'm very surprised, but. I mean, I, he, I didn't think he was, I didn't realize he was not that healthy. But uh, they both uh, were, uh, they changed their lives, let's put it that way. But I remember the first time I saw Stan, uh, we went to Colorado Springs and we were just hanging out. And I said, you know, I'm going to call him. And it's the first time we talked since he left the Joplin area. And I told Vicky when I happened, I said, it was like I was talking, talking to a ghost. I mean, it was like, uh, but we did make arrangements to have have lunch. But it was just like, I don't know. That was another good thing that, that came out of it all. We got to be, we were best friends and then we were kind of drifted away. And then uh, we got to be best friends again. I guess maybe on a different plane. Yeah.
0: It changed all of us. Yeah, you had had referenced when you were coming back the sin that you felt. And that was 50-plus years ago that this happened. And the world has changed just a little bit in that 50 years, and it's probably not a stretch to claim that there's more sin present. If for no other reason, there's more people on the planet. What does your message or the message in your book inform us or teach us about having hope, especially in a faith-starved world?
1: Well, I'd like to start by talking about baptism. Uh, At least in our church, as part of the baptismal situation, the last thing that the pastor says as he puts a cross on your forehead and says, you are now marked as God's own forever. Well, you go down the road, and then you go through confirmation and, you know, marriage. And, but people say, well, if you're marked as God's own forever, then why do you have to worry about sin? Well, that's a, <laughs> that's a dumb question. <laughs> but But... The way that the way that i've started explaining it is you know you may be marked as god's own forever but but you also have choice you know god gave you choice which is you can do what's right or you can do what what's wrong but god is in you and really and truly the only way that you are going to not be a part of his family is to just completely renounce him altogether and you say well you mean these people that, some of these crazy people are doing this or they go to heaven? This is another thing that I learned. God's, it's a very, he, he has control of everything. And I can't say that this horrible person is not going to go to heaven because I don't make that decision. But I do know that when we sin, that's a disconnect. And then, you know, like anything else, the more company you know the more time the more disconnects you have one starts to outweigh the other and that's and then you know you could you could become a possession of satan and that would be the end of the line but there's so much like you said much more sin and uh, it used to be i mean even when i was teaching school and that was my main when i was teaching that was my that was that was who God pointed to me towards was certain individuals, certain young people that were having real trouble. And, and most of the time, it wasn't just them, it was the family situation. And I like to tell people, and this is the absolute truth, I would sometimes knock on a front door to talk about a child, and I had absolutely no idea what I was gonna say when that door opened. I mean, I knew I was there. I knew I needed to be there. But the words that came out of my mouth even shocked me. (laughs) But when you change a kid's belief system, most, I mean, I wouldn't even want to think about today what kids believe in. I mean, I mean that. You know, you, you think, well, you believe in God and you believe in your parents and you believe in your teachers and you believe in your pastors and you believe in your boss. But do, I mean, education to me is just, and, and Christian education too. Uh, I just did a, you know, one of these, you got to take this before you can have any contact with kids. And it tells you all things that, you know, well, first of all, the bishop says, okay, we're a loving blah, blah, blah. communion. I mean, you know, we're going to do everything we can. And then you take this 15-course Thing that tells you that you can't look at them with any kind of uh, you know, can't give them those secure looks. Whatever you do, don't touch them and choose your words very carefully. And I just don't know how you know you've got to, if you're gonna go out and, and help people, you've got to do it on God's words and take you know, and just take a chance. Because I look back. And uh, with all the, all the uh, and in the book, there were, I think there were 15 uh, different scenarios that I that I uh, reported, but there were, you know, there was hundreds. I mean, lots of, you know, and sometimes it wasn't life-shaking, life-shattering, but it might have just been, you know, why am I not making good grades or, you know, why am I get, not getting along with my parents? And, but. God put those answers in my mouth. Just before we went on today, I, I prayed that I could, could communicate, you know, what's in my heart. A few weeks, I get to do a little section in church. They only give me two minutes, so I can't do a lot. I have to choose my words very carefully. But all this, I mean, I look back and think, what if it hadn't happened? And I wouldn't even want to think about it. I mean, I just wouldn't, I just, I couldn't, I can't fathom what it, Life would be without what I know now.
0: You answered a question that I was going to ask you. Like if you had to try to anticipate what your life would have been like not having had this experience, what would you have said? Hard to know. Hard to know. I I do have a, a question that popped in as you were describing going back to your ascension when your soul left your body. You had said sin and Satan both fell away. Are they the same thing, or well, did one have uh, one type of feeling more intensely well, than the other?
1: Sin is a an action. It's something. Yeah, you know, sin is an action. Satan is a Satan's always there. I mean, whether you're a sinner or not, Satan's always there you know, grasping at you and trying to squeeze the worst of you out. So once the sin dropped away, there was no, he had nothing to, nothing to feed on, I guess you'd say. And since I've, I've never really been answer, asked that question before, but, but uh, I mean, sin is what keeps the devil going. And uh, to have it completely removed then Satan being a, if you want to think of him as a person or or a thing, has nothing to hold on to. He's lost his grip.
0: Yeah. One final question for you, Calvin. Okay. You've had an extraordinary life. 50-plus years ago, you had a near-death experience that fundamentally transformed the way in which you saw the world. You were an educator for 40 years. You've been involved in church ministry. You've been a tribal leader. You're an a published author. It's like, man, what haven't you done? I mean, this is incredible. And I'm curious if you could leave the audience with one message, one thing to hold on to, what would that thing be?
1: Okay, I think that there's this, you know, you, you got to believe in God. And you've got to teach through that belief. You got to you got to build people's belief system in themselves, in each other, and with God. You got to build a sense of trust, and love is the key element to tie it all together. That's that's the message that I want to leave.
0: I love that. This has been great. I was excited to have this conversation. Before we started, I was even more interested as you were recounting your, your story. So thank you so much for taking time to do this before we wrap up. Would you mind closing us out in prayer?
1: I certainly would not. Most heavenly father, thank you for this time that we've been able to share with each other and with your listeners. I hope that I could share my experience and that it would be Helpful and beneficial to those people out there listening. I hope that you understand that we're all in this together. We're all in. It's the only way we can be. Give the listeners and myself and our host confidence to continue in our ministries and let us lead people towards uh, the kingdom of God. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Calvin, this was great. Thanks again for your time. I really appreciate it.
1: Oh, uh, it's been great. I, mean, I, You know what? I've been as excited about this as you have. And then, you know, you <laughs> sent awesome. you, you messages two or three times, and that just built my excitement that much more.
0: <laughs> there you go. That sounds great. Take care of yourself, Calvin. God bless.
1: Okay. Thank you.
0: Contact the show at It's Not My Credit to take.com. We'd love to hear from you. God bless.